Welcome to Shortcut to Slim, a research-based podcast on dieting and nutrition, brought to you by GetMealPlans.com. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon, and in this episode, I'll be answering the question, can you be healthy and obese? I'm also going to take a hard look at health warnings, shame, and self-criticism. Are these messages as motivating as we think they are? The big takeaway from the last few episodes is this. How you think determines what you do. So in order to change your behavior, you have to change your thoughts. To bring this into focus, I shared a few groundbreaking studies that showed how a subject's perception dramatically changed their body's response, even at a hormonal level. But these are all personal perceptions. Perceptions they had about themselves or relating to themselves. For example, there was the study with housekeepers who started perceiving themselves as exercise superstars and perceiving their work as exercise and not hard labor. There was also the sailors who were so desperate for cherry jello that when they were served lemon jello with red food dye, they believed it was cherry. They perceived it as cherry flavored. But I also said that it takes a lot of courage to change your thoughts and perceptions because we feel blame, guilt, and shame when we go against what we believe or accept as truth, even if that was false. And this made me wonder about the utility of shame and self-criticism. I don't know about you, but I got bottles of that. I also started wondering about fear and warnings like, this is your brain on drugs. Do you remember those commercials? I'm gonna talk more about that later. Anyway, when I start working with someone one-on-one, the first question I ask them is, why? Why are they here with me? Why are they enrolled in Slim Team, my weight loss program? They usually say one of two things, and I'm betting these are the reasons you're listening to this podcast. Number one, they are scared to death of getting cancer, heart disease, or that whatever they have is going to get worse. Number two, they want to lose weight. Actually, I lied. Let me back up. Very few people say to me, Lindsay, I want to lose weight. So let's start there. Most of us say, I want to get healthy, when what we really mean is, I want to lose body fat. I've got news for you. You can be obese and be healthy. The reason I'm saying this is because our society portrays healthy as synonymous with skinny, but skinny people aren't automatically healthy. And it's totally okay to want both. You can want to be skinnier and healthier, and you can become skinnier and healthier, but they're not one in the same. They're two different boats, and one is a whole lot faster to catch. If you want to get healthy, you don't have to do very much. Eat a few more vegetables, adopt a positive outlook on life, move around a bit more, and find a supportive community you can belong to, such as meal mentors, community, a church group, or make friends in yoga class. Really, that's all. You can get healthy, increase your longevity, and not lose a single pound. But even though I've said that, and I've got the science to back it, I know you won't believe me, because I still struggle to believe me, which is why I'm spending an entire episode on this myth. We're conditioned to believe that simply because we have a little jelly, a badonkadonk, junk in the trunk, a spare tire, or however else you want to refer to your body fat, that you're not healthy. Lack of body fat doesn't define healthy. There are thousands of overweight and obese people with incredible lab results who run marathons, eat super clean, aren't on any medications, and we should celebrate these people. Can we take a hot second to celebrate these people? Woo, yay, wow, you're awesome! Body size is probably the least important factor for determining health. Many things we regard as obvious and important protective factors, such as exercising regularly, not smoking, and maintaining good blood pressure, oh, and good cholesterol, they've been shown on average to add less than four years to one's lifespan. 
I was just as depressed by this fact. It doesn't make me want to give up, but it does make me place value differently. I still see fruits and vegetables as healthy, and I place a premium on eating whole foods, but I've diverted from perfection because seeking perfection leads to self-abuse, self-criticism, and shame. And that's what this episode is about, shame and the role it plays with obesity. But before I can get into that, I need to ask you something. I'm going to ask you to say, at least to yourself, I want to lose body fat, instead of saying, I want to get healthy or I want to lose weight. Those other statements aren't the whole truth. They're shaming, or at the very least, they're continuing this myth that skinny equals healthy. This podcast is dedicated to debunking myths. Please help me change this one. Quick sidebar. Throughout this episode and future episodes, you're going to hear me say fat with a friendly F. It might make you uncomfortable. It still makes me uncomfortable, but it's only an ugly word if we make it that way. Overweight seems more sensitive or gentle or PC, but overweight implies that there is a right weight or a correct weight. That's still shaming, and I don't want fat, the word or the literal adipose tissue on someone's body, to be shameful. Quoting Jane from Drop Dead Diva, fat isn't a bad word unless we teach it that it is something to be shamed of. So fat with a friendly F. Fear, stigma, self-criticism, and shame do not inspire positive behavior change. If anything, fear, stigma, self-criticism, and shame motivate a desire to escape from feeling bad, which leads to more self-destructive coping behaviors, often the very behaviors you're trying to stop. This research was uncovered in the most unlikely of places, through anti-smoking campaigns. Warning about smoking had the reverse effect— Graphic warnings do not and did not make people smoke less. It actually made smokers smoke more and develop a more positive attitude towards smoking, especially if the warning was threatening, such as showing a black lung or someone dying of lung cancer. Why? These warnings shut people down. Instead of thinking about the implications, which was the original goal, these scare tactics made people look for a way to escape feeling bad. This made me think back to the failed D.A.R.E. program. If you were in school in the 80s or 90s, you probably remember D.A.R.E. or the PSA, This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercial. I'll leave a link to YouTube in the show notes. Schools started dropping the program like hotcakes in the early 90s after Indiana University found that students who graduated the D.A.R.E. program, and D.A.R.E. stands for Drug Abuse Resistance Education, anyway, those who graduated had a higher than average rate of drug use. The California Department of Education, the National Institute of Justice, the American Psychological Association, and then in 2001, the Surgeon General all categorized D.A.R.E. as highly ineffective. But this boomerang effect doesn't only apply with drugs or smoking. Take, for example, this study at the University of California that concluded weight stigma led overweight women, but not non-overweight women, to consume more calories. Specifically, when overweight women were given a New York Times article about how employers discriminate against overweight workers, they ate twice as many calories of junk foods afterwards compared to overweight women who read a different article on a different kind of workplace discrimination. That same study also concluded that weight stigma reduced perceived dietary control among overweight women. This is terrible news. 
We already know that perception makes a huge difference and that our thoughts drive our behavior. That means all these warnings, even if they seem innocent or good, are a health hazard report. They're literally making someone who is overweight feel more helpless and more powerless, making it even harder to change. What I found especially interesting is the effect it had on non-overweight women. Weight stigma increased perceived dietary control among non-overweight women. On the face, that sounds great. They don't feel powerless, but that doesn't mean they feel empowered. What's happening oftentimes is that they believe they have more control than they really do, which creates self-sabotage in a different way. And this single-handedly explained to me why so many people struggle with the last 10 to 15, quote, vanity pounds. It also connects back to the Fitbit studies I talked about last season and showing how calories burned or calories left for the day are often more harmful than helpful. In case I lost you back there, fear, stigma, self-criticism, and shame don't actually motivate people to improve their well-being. Rather, fear, stigma, self-criticism, and shame tend to push people toward the very behaviors they're hoping to change. I want to say this one more time. Self-criticism and shame will not improve your well-being. The more ashamed you feel or the more critical you are of yourself or your behavior, the more you will push yourself to the very behavior you're hoping to change. You can't bully yourself into health. The more you try, the harder you'll make it on yourself to actually become healthier because you just can't take care of something you hate. Quoting Lindy West, shame is a tool of oppression and not a tool of change. And even if you aren't ashamed or self-critical, but you hold this belief that fatness is shameful or the result of weak willpower or some personal moral failing, you're a jerk. And that attitude makes you self-sabotage too. If you find yourself wanting an explanation for someone's body, ask yourself, is that my body? No one has the right to your body except you. Being fat is not a moral failing, but having a lack of empathy, especially for yourself, is. I love this quote from the Four Agreements. In your whole life, nobody has ever abused you more than you have abused yourself. The limit of your self-abuse is exactly the limit you will tolerate from someone else. If someone abuses you a little more than you abuse yourself, you will probably walk away. But if someone abuses you a little less than you abuse yourself, you will tolerate it endlessly. I never understood what people meant by self-respect. But now I understand that self-respect is not tolerating self-abuse. Abandoning perfection. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned that I abandoned perfection. Here's why. Self-abuse comes from self-rejection, and self-rejection comes from having an image of what it means to be perfect and not measuring up to that idea. Diets and food philosophies help create these images of what perfection is, and we think we have to do exactly that in order to be good enough. This leads to an all-or-nothing mindset, which creates feelings of failure and guilt when we don't execute perfectly. And that leads to shame and self-criticism, which we now know isn't a successful motivator. It's an ugly cycle. Changing your mindset and personal perception is difficult, especially in a society with a public perception that fat shaming is okay because everyone thinks it will motivate others to lose weight. Newsflash, it won't. And this behavior is harmful to everyone's health. So stop doing it. So how can you motivate yourself or others to change behavior if fear, stigma, self-criticism, and shame, all the things we're currently doing, aren't going to work? 
Focus on the positive benefits of an alternative, specifically highlighting benefits that appeal to vanity or personal benefits whenever possible. For example, tell a child to eat spinach so they grow up big and strong like Popeye or say something like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's far more effective than worrying about the consequences of too many cookies or saying candy causes cavities. In fact, don't messages don't appear to work for us. Analyzing 43 different published international studies involving negative or positive nutrition messages, researchers at Cornell found that people would prefer and respond better to messages that tell them what to do and why it's good for them. Focus on the do. This research also explains how things like goji berries or acai became so popular so quickly. Superfood marketing focuses purely on all the positive benefits in those foods. Even if superfood marketing is a scam, and it totally is, as soon as you put any colorful fruit or vegetable under the microscope, you'll see a treasure trove of complex biochemistry and phytochemicals with innumerable health benefits. The marketing is still spot on. By focusing on the benefits and what it can do for someone, that gets people excited. That makes them open their pocketbook and pay $12 for seeds that taste like dirty socks. I tried this out on my husband recently. Anytime he would remark that his muscles were sore from exercise, I would say, oh, kale can help with that. Or I'd randomly drop into conversation that greens reduce inflammation and or improve muscle recovery. So any serious athlete should seriously consider eating more of them. And you know what? He eats kale for breakfast now. This psychology also reminds me of the expression, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, because people wanna know what it's in for them. They wanna know what they're gonna get out of it. I'm not embarrassed to say I went vegan for vanity, and I think that's probably why it stuck. I was overly focused on the personal benefits. I was in my early 20s, I wasn't caring about heart attacks or caring about my total cholesterol, but I was willing to try anything that cleared up my acne. There is one exception though, because there's always a giant stinking caveat, right? Don't messages work really well with experts. People who are highly involved and knowledgeable in an area, they need the don't messages. And I think this explains why passionate people end up preaching don't messages. Bottom line, tell your kid, your partner, and yourself what you can eat, not what you can't. And this echoes a piece of advice I always give new vegans or people with allergies who feel seriously deprived or have a lot of FOMO. Think about all the foods you can eat rather than focus on all the foods you're choosing not to or the foods you're choosing to eliminate. To summarize this episode, being fat is not a moral failing, but having a lack of empathy, especially for yourself, is. Progress, not perfection, is absolutely the best mindset. Anytime I eat or live less than my ideal, I remind myself that it's not all or nothing. If I had one flat tire, I wouldn't get out and slash the other three with a knife. One meal or even a whole month isn't going to destroy all the progress I've made. I am still healthy and so are you. In fact, healthy isn't far off in the distance. You can quite literally be healthier tomorrow, even if you are obese. Size is the least important factor when it comes to health and longevity, and the more you see yourself as healthy, the more healthy you will actually become, and without trying so hard, because like I said, you can't take care of something you hate. You are healthy already. You've been listening to Shortcut to Slim. Download your free research-based seven-day meal plan at getmealplans.com and leave the guessworks and science to me. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon, and if you found this podcast helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps.